0: Luke 7, chapter 11 to 17. Sometime later, Jesus went to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd went along with him. He approached the town gate. Just then, a dead person was being carried out. He was the only son of his mother. She was a widow. A large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he felt sorry for her. So he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin. Those carrying it stood still. Jesus said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. Then Jesus gave him back to his mother. The people were all filled with wonder and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread all through Judea and the whole country.
1: Please leave your Bibles open there in Luke chapter 7. Uh, Before we get into God's Word, as always, we will pray and ask for God's guidance. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would guide us as we seek to understand your will for our lives as we hear from your Word this morning. Uh, We pray that uh, this morning we would uh, learn more about Jesus and uh, that uh, we would not only uh, learn more, Lord, that you would apply his word to our hearts and minds, that we would leave here this morning changed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I'm sure you're all aware, this week there was quite a massive explosion in Beirut. 135 people were killed and apparently 5,000 wounded. The blast was so massive that it looked like an atomic bomb had just gone off. And as impressive as the footage was and as widely circulated as it is, I think it's hard for us to grasp the seriousness of this situation as we watch it on our TVs. There are people, even this morning, who are in great pain because of loved ones who are in critical condition. People who are struggling because their loved ones are are no more. Those who grieve over the loss that they've experienced. There was no time to say goodbye. There was no time to even prepare themselves for what was about to take place. In a moment, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters were taken away in an absolute instant. Many in Beirut, as we are meeting this morning, are still in a deep state of grief, having lost loved ones, and having the fear and worries of having loved ones in hospital. In a moment, those loved ones had gone. Providers of households had been taken away, leaving those left behind to not only grieve, about the pain and loss of losing a loved one, but also to fear for the future. What will happen to them now? The global pandemic that has ripped the world has now reached a death toll of 704,000. Each day we see the numbers from down in Victoria. Each day we hear of more and more lives being taken. And as this virus increasingly takes younger and younger people, there are many around the world, even in our own country, who are grieving the loss of loved ones. Grief can be debilitating, and it can knock us around for many years after we have lost a loved one. And sadly, this world has nothing to offer those who grieve, apart from sending out condolences and telling us that they're thinking of us. This world has no hope for those who grieve, no ability to provide hope beyond what we can control, beyond our circumstances. But it isn't just those who have lost loved ones who are grieving at this time. I think there is a sense in this very unusual and difficult season where we are all grieving, ever since the doors of the church were shut until now. For a while, we were able to work under the assumption that we would be able to return to normal soon. But now the reality of how much longer these COVID restrictions could last is slowly starting to hear home, as we don't know what the future will bring. As we grieve the loss of the familiar Loss of being able to meet in person, loss of being able to shake hands and give a brother and sister in Christ a hug. The loss of missed gospel opportunities in our community. In this time when we are many in our congregation are feeling varied levels of grief and frustration, we can have confidence that Jesus knows this. Pain and frustration that we're experiencing. He knows about our feelings of loneliness and separation. He knows this sense of grief and loss. As we persevere through this challenging season and as we meet this morning online and wonder how long these restrictions will last, how long they'll keep us from meeting under normal circumstances as members of the body of Christ. We are being reminded this morning of the good news of Jesus, that it provides hope beyond our circumstances, hope to those who are grieving, hope that enables us to endure through the harder times. But a hope, because it's a hope that is far greater than even death itself. So last week we heard about Jesus healing the centurion servant. So this is just after Jesus had healed the centurion's servant. He and his disciples and a large crowd of followers were heading to the inland town of Nain. Nain's about 50 kilometres southeast of Capernaum where Jesus had healed the centurion's servant. And as Jesus drew near to the town gate, he was confronted, uh, confronted by a strange sight. It was the sign of a, it was a deceased person being carried out and a grieving widow and a funeral procession behind her. Luke tells us in verse 12 that the deceased was the only son of this widow. We aren't told how long ago it was when her husband had passed away, but what is clear is that this wasn't this poor woman's first funeral. Her husband had died, leaving her with only this son to look after her. And now he had passed away as well. The grief of this poor woman must have been debilitating. She must have been inconsolable as she grieved not only for the loss of her son, but also of any hope for the future. As Amy told us earlier in the children's chapter, In those days, without a husband or a son to provide for her, she would have had to have relied on friends and family, more begging. The situation was extremely serious. There was no pension system in those days, no welfare system to support her. Unless somebody felt compassion on her, she was in serious trouble. She would have been dependent on others outside of her family unit, forever. Everything must have felt hopeless for this poor woman. There was a crowd that was following the coffin, and in that crowd there may have been many who were grieving the loss of this son as well. Many who were grieving the hopeless situation that this woman now found herself in. But despite having all of these people who felt compassion towards her, No one could understand the grief and pain that that woman was feeling in that moment. No one, that is, except for Jesus. When Jesus was confronted with the sight of this woman and her deceased son being carried through the town gate as he made his way to the city or to the town, Jesus saw the pain of this woman. He knew what she was feeling. He knew that this wasn't, the first funeral that this poor woman had been to. And he understood the implications of her son's death for her future. So as Jesus saw her heart, he was filled with compassion. And he said, don't cry. Now I don't know about you, but if anyone else had said that in a situation like this, the only way you could possibly take it is for that woman to have a stiff upper lip or to pull herself together. But because these words came from Jesus, the only one who has the power over death, these words were actually words of hope. Words filled with expectation of what Jesus was about to do. And so after speaking with the widow, Jesus went over to the deceased. It seems the funeral procession must have stopped for a moment as he did this, and Jesus went over and he touched the deceased. Now, this is an incredibly countercultural thing for a Jewish man to do because by touching the deceased, Jesus was making himself ceremonially unclean. But so Jesus was willing to do that for this woman. He touched the deceased and he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the deceased man sat up and began to talk. Luke doesn't tell us what he said. That doesn't seem to be important to this narrative. What is important is that this young man who was dead, deceased, was now alive. Somebody who's sitting up and talking shows signs of life. He's clearly alive. And Jesus gave the man back to his mother. He was probably helping him up and helping him over to his mother with his most likely shaken, newly resurrected body, body that had just risen from the grave. And all those who saw this were filled with fear. I think the NIV plays this down a little bit. In the ESV, it explains it in verse 16. Fear seized them all and they glorified God. The reaction of those who saw what had happened was no, wow, look at that. They were awestruck. They were seized, seized with fear. They understood that this amazing miracle was a work of God. And in the presence of such power, power that has the authority to command a dead man rise from the dead, they were struck with fear, with awe, with reverent respect, they understood their standing in such a presence of power. And when the crowd had gathered their thoughts, they began saying, a great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. All those who saw what Jesus had done knew that this was a work of God. And the news spread throughout the whole region about what Jesus had done for this grieving widow, this widow who had lost everything, but whose hope had been restored through Christ Jesus. Now there's something really striking about these verses, and that is there is no mention at all about the faith of this woman. There is no indication in these verses at all that this woman did anything, in, and anything at all. There was no action, no belief, shown that caused jesus to act with such compassion but what we do see in these verses is jesus revealing his compassion for the lost and the hurting as jesus brought hope and joy to a woman that was otherwise devastated with grief jesus was healing the brokenhearted he was fulfilling the prophecy of isaiah 61. if you can remember back to when we looked at chapter four of Luke. It's a while ago now, but when we looked at chapter four, Jesus was in the synagogue. He'd made his way to the synagogue and he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And when he read from the scroll of Isaiah, he read from Isaiah 61, the same chapter of Isaiah that he's fulfilling here. He said, this, this, this is what Jesus would have read. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Undoubtedly, this grieving widow was not the only one who was suffering grief and loss at this time. There would have been other widows in that that land. There would have been other people who were suffering grief. This wasn't the only grieving person in the place. It's reasonable to assume that Jesus could have gone to others and perhaps did. But these verses aren't promising us that Jesus will always heal our broken hearts in this life. This account isn't providing us with an example of what we should expect to be normal in this life. But what it is providing us with is an insight into the kingdom of God, an insight into the healing that Christ will bring about for all those with faith in him. These verses give us a picture of what it will be like when Jesus wipes every tear from our eyes. Revelation 21 tells us that this time there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. The brokenness of this life will be done. Christ will have restored all things to perfection and will have life forever in his presence because of his life, death and resurrection in our place. And those who grieve will grieve no more. A time when we will be able to live in Christ's presence to be able to be in perfect relation with him to be able to speak with him and spend time with him in a, in a completely different way, sometimes our circumstances make us feel like our situation is hopeless but this morning we 've been reminded that no matter what our circumstances are, Jesus cares about our struggles, and he is the one the only one who can do anything about. It. Hebrews 4 reminds us that Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted to give up. He knows the struggles and temptations, all of the struggles and temptations that are normal to the human experience. Our Creator is not some distant God who created us and who is now sitting back waiting to see what will happen next. The one who is presently sustaining all things by his powerful word cares about our struggles. He cares about how each one of us are doing. He cares about not only our grief, but our walk with him. Because he is the only one who can actually change the outcome. Now this, of course, isn't saying that Jesus will always take us out of our times of sorrow and struggle. He loves us far too much for that. But what it does mean is is that he is using even our times of sorrow and suffering to draw us near to him, to bring our lives into perspective, to challenge us in a way that helps us see who he is and how important he is in relationship to the things of this life. As he shapes us and moulds us into the image of Christ. And he is not left us to endure on our own. He has promised his Holy Spirit to be in us, to work in us, to make us more like his Son. Ephesians 1 says that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, a guarantee, a promise guaranteeing our inheritance. The body of Christ is a gift to all believers as well, to encourage each other, to build each other up, in the good times and the hard times. Of course, this season that we're in at the moment is making this harder. Social isolation and physical distancing is creating challenges. None of us are able to accurately predict when all of this will end either. But what seems certain now is that we are going to have to adapt. Just because we can't enjoy our weekly physical gatherings like we would so love to do, we are God's gift of encouragement to each other. And we can do this by phone, by email, by visiting, by sending a card, or just by text. There are many ways that we can point each other to the hope we have in Jesus, to encourage each other in our walk with the Lord. As we show compassion and help, to each other in Christ's name. Many of us had hoped that we'd be meeting together by now. And as we hope that this season will return to normal, as that hope is starting to slip away, there is a sense of grief. There is a sense of uncertainty about what is next. We take heart, because this morning we have been reminded that no matter what we are going through, Our Saviour cares for us. We're not amongst those who grieve without hope because our hope is greater than the power of life and death. It's certainly far greater than our, our circumstances. And it is grounded in the death of God himself in our place and his resurrection which has brought us the hope of life forever. In Christ. He is the only one who has the power to wipe every tear from our eye, to destroy the power of death forever. In this life, there will be pain and suffering, there will be sorrow, but through faith in Christ, we will be able to endure whatever comes our way together as the body of Christ. We can do this because of the certain hope that we have in Christ Jesus. A certain hope in what Christ has done, the completed work of Christ for us. A hope that is guaranteed through his Holy Spirit who continues to work in us so that we will encourage each other in our walk with the Lord so that we might spur each other on to love and good deeds so that we might serve the one who has given us life and hope beyond the circumstances of our lives and into eternity. Let's give him thanks now. Lord Jesus, it is so easy for us to distance ourselves from the pain and hurting of others, to get caught up in our lives. And it's so easy for us to be overwhelmed by our frustrations and grief and to forget to look to you as our hope, to remember the certain hope that we have in you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray this morning that you would reorientate our hearts to the hope we have in you, that through you and through the hope we have in you, we would remember that you have the power to change our circumstances. More importantly, Lord, you have guaranteed the eternal hope that we have through you that through you we are members of one body, that through you we are heirs in the kingdom of God, that through you the hope we have in you and what you have done for us, that hope can never be taken away. No matter how difficult our circumstances may be in this life, the joy of our salvation is secure because of what you have done. And Lord, we praise you and thank you And we give you all the glory for your love for us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.